great. We're going to read from Luke 19 uh, and verse 11. Nearly there. <laughs> great. Okay, so Luke 19, uh, Luke 19 and verse 11. Whilst they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. And so he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minors. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You, take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I have kept it laid up in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take what you did not, uh, you take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I do not put in and reaping what I do not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. So they replied, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want to be king want me to be king over them. Bring them here and kill them in front of me. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would use it to energize us for service in the kingdom. We ask you, Lord, that you would make your word come alive to us in our spirits and that we would be changed and transformed by the power of your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I love this uh, parable. Um, it, it's interesting that as we get to this point in uh, Luke's gospel, the narrative is kind of slowing down. Um, there are actually, uh, it's interesting thing to look at, four chapters in our New Testament, if you take all the Gospels, the four Gospels, there are four chapters that cover the first 30 years of Jesus' life. And then there are 85 chapters that cover the final three years of his life. Kind of, we get snippets from his birth and childhood, but then we get 85 chapters about the last three years. But of those 85 chapters, 29 of them cover the final week of his life. It's like the narrative's slowing down now because we're getting towards Jerusalem. 
and 13 are given for the final 24 hours of his life. The whole thing is slowing down and we're concentrating. And here in chapter 19, we're, we're just 17 miles out of Jerusalem. We're at Jericho, 3,000 foot climb, uh, 17 mile hike, and you're in the city. And so Jesus is approaching. The next, the next uh, section is going to be the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And we're, we're, we're homing in on this big confrontation and encounter that's going to happen when Jesus gets to the holy city. And he's just been at the home of Zacchaeus, who you may remember, the short man who responded to Jesus' invitation to come from a distant relationship into a close relationship with him. Zacchaeus had repented radically of his sin and he'd proven himself to be a true son of Abraham by the way that he had been changed by Jesus' invitation. Now, it looks like Jesus is still at Zacchaeus' house because it says in verse 11, whilst they were still listening, he told them this parable. So he tells them this parable and it says that we're given the reason why he tells the parable, because they were near Jerusalem and people thought the kingdom would appear at once. You see, people were thinking, the son of David is marching on Jerusalem. It's Passover. He's been doing all these miracles. He clearly has power. He has a following. The crowds are, are traveling with him into Jerusalem it's happening. The kingdom is coming. The, the Romans are going to be kicked out. The Jews are going to reclaim their rightful inheritance. The, the Messiah is here. And he's calling himself the son of man. That guy in Daniel who is spoken of as, as the, the powerful son of man. He's, Jesus is coming to and, and the kingdom's about to come, they're thinking. And so Jesus tells this parable to say that, uh, to say that the kingdom is coming, but in a different way and in a different timescale to what you think it is, is going to happen. And so he tells this uh, parable where he says that the man goes off to a far country to be made king. In other words, it's going to be a long journey. This, this man who is going to be made king has to go on a long journey before he is finally crowned publicly as king. In other words, Jesus is going to go on a long journey. He's going to go to heaven. There's going to be a long wait for his ascension before he comes back and is crowned publicly as king. So it's going to be a long time before the kingdom is fully realized. Okay? So there's a background to this story. It's very, very interesting background because actually as soon as Jesus told this parable, people would have thought of the headlines in the newspapers of the day um, if they'd had such things because this was a very current event that Jesus was referring to and everybody would have known about, okay? What we had was this. Herod the Great had been the king. And he had been known as King Herod Rex because he had assisted Mark Antony uh, in the defeat of the Parthians uh, uh, for Caesar. And so he, he was given the title King Herod. Herod. The, the, the Romans didn't always give their rulers the title king, um, but Herod was entitled to be called King Herod. When King Herod died, he conferred on three of his sons his uh, leadership over different provinces. Okay, I think we have the four Herods here, Scott. And um, 
you can see that you've got Herod the Great, and then you've got his three sons, Herod Archelaus, Herod Philip, and Herod Agrippa. And he gave the three of them rulership over different provinces, and Herod Archelaus was given the province of Judea, the area where Jesus is, and Jerusalem. But Herod Archelaus needs to go to Rome, he needs to travel to Rome, in order for Caesar Augustus to officially acknowledge him as king. Although he had been given the title or the, the, the role by his father, you have to then have the Caesar approve and sanction your authority. Okay? So you have to travel off to Rome where Caesar Augustus is going to say, you know, I hereby declare you to be king, um, except he wasn't given the title king. He was, uh, and so he traveled, uh, Archelaus traveled with a group of people, with his family, with his friends. He traveled the long journey to Rome and stood before Caesar Augustus. And uh, I think we have a picture of him, uh, a photograph that was taken at the time, which you can show us. Thank you, Scott, the next one. Uh, of there he is, you see, there he is. And he's in the lavish temple setting of the Palatine Apollo. And he is asking and supplicating that he would be given the title of King Archelaus. But uh, 50 people arrived from Palestine. A delegation has traveled from Palestine to resist and oppose uh, Archelaus being confirmed as king. They don't want him to be king. Some Jews and Samaritans have come, and, uh, and then there's also 8,000 expat Jews in the area in Rome, and they also are lobbying to say, no, we don't want this guy to be king, because he had actually massacred 3,000 Jews and piled up their bodies in the temple uh, when he became king to prove his kind of authority, and he was, he was a bit of a nasty piece of work. Uh, and uh, he was um, uh, accused as well of, of being incompetent. And so they said to Caesar Augustus, no, we don't want him to be king. Um, well, what happened was that Caesar Augustus retired to think about it and came out and gave a solution which nobody was happy with. Sounds a bit like the Church of England, doesn't it, at the moment? Um, he came out and said, well, I will let him have his, or his authority, but he's going to be titled, uh, he's not going to be given the name of king. Uh, rather, uh, he will be called an ethnarch, uh, which isn't the king title. He's not going to be given the title Rex. However, if he proves himself over time, then he can earn the title of king. As it happens, he never did prove himself and was a bit of a failure and was never given the title of king. So that's the background, and everybody knew about it. And actually, in Jericho, there was a palace that had been built by the ethnarch um, uh, Herod Archelaus. A palace had been built by him. So there's Jesus in Jericho, and Jesus tells this parable, and they're going, oh, yeah, we know where that story's coming from, where that parable is coming from. Now, I don't know if you can spot the parallels between Jesus and this account, but there are, aren't there? Because... Jesus has been declared by God to be king, um, but he needs to be publicly confirmed as king. Uh, and uh, he, there's going to be this coronation. Now, of course, the difference is that Jesus is the worthy king, the one who is perfect in every way, and who is worthy of being given that title. Um, but 
There are those who oppose his, uh, his uh, coronation. There are those, uh, as Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem, as he goes in, there's the triumphal entry, there's going to be people shouting Hosanna, but only a week later, those people are going to be shouting crucify him. People are going to oppose Jesus being crowned as king. And then as Jesus ascends into heaven, even now there is still opposition to him being crowned as king in our world. People don't want Jesus to be king. Our culture is opposed and rejects and resents the claims of Jesus Christ. The beliefs and values of the Christian faith are resented popularly by the culture, whether that's in the realm of family and marriage, whether that's in the realm of worship and church, whether that's with uh, things like Sam Smith's kind of latest perverse video that's being foisted on children, or uh, whether it's the, the third episode of The Last of Us, which I definitely wouldn't suggest you watch. I haven't done uh, either. But there are many values that the, our culture would want to push forward uh, and would be opposed to Jesus being king and his kingdom and his kingdom values. And so it's not surprising that it's difficult, isn't it, to be a Christian in our culture. It's difficult to build a church in our culture. It's difficult to stand up for what we believe because there is um, an opposition to King Jesus. What I do love in verse 15, however, is that it tells us this. In verse 15, it says, he was, however, made king. So Jesus is king and will, however, be crowned as king. As it tells us in Philippians 2, he, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. In verse 27, a very sobering verse at the end of this whole reading, it tells us that Jesus says, those enemies of mine who did not want me to be a king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. One commentator says this, we may be horrified by the fierceness of this conclusion, but beneath the grim imagery is an equally grim fact. The fact that the coming of Jesus to the world puts every man to the test, compels every man to a decision. And that decision is no light matter. It is a matter of life and death. It's an important decision. It has eternal consequences. But this king, this man, as he travels off, before he leaves, he gives his servants a charge. And so we read in verse 13 that he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 miners. So he gave each of his 10 servants one miner. Now, a miner, this parable used to be called the parable of the pounds, by the way, because a miner weighed about a pound. So people thought of it as the parable of the pounds. A miner was a relatively small amount of money. It was Greek currency, and it was, uh, there's varying estimations of what, how much it was worth, up to three months' wages perhaps, but some people say quite a bit less 
than that. The point is that it's not a huge amount that is given to each of these people, but each is given a minor and told to invest it and to make it work. Now, what does this minor stand for? Well, one option we could say is it's talking about our talents and our gifts. I think the problem with that is we're confusing this parable with another parable that Jesus told. Some of you will recognize the parable of the talents that we read about in Matthew 25. That's a different parable. And in that parable, people are given talents which are worth a lot more, but different people are given different amounts of talents. Because actually equality is not necessarily a good thing. They have equality in North Korea, but that doesn't always uh, work or help. Um, people have different amounts. People are different, given different amounts. And um, in the parable of the talents, people are each given a different amount. Um, but we are given one minor each. So this, I don't think, is talking about our talents on this occasion in this parable. So what is it talking about? Maybe it's talking about the gospel message that each of us have been given in equal measure to invest in that gospel message. And I think that's right. I think that's what it is about. But we must be careful that we don't define the gospel message in too narrow a way. This gospel message that we have been given, if I could put it a different way, I would define it as this. It is the task of living the one life that you have to serve Jesus' business. Okay, I'll repeat that. That's my definition. What we've been given in this one minor is the task of living the one life that you have to serve Jesus' business. Okay? Jesus' business. What is Jesus' business? It is bringing about the kingdom of God. And so that means investing in ourselves with this gospel message that we've received, investing so that we're growing through this gospel message. We're growing in faith. We're growing in knowledge. We're growing in wisdom. We're, we're reading books. We're, we're learning. We're, we're praying. We're growing in our faith. We're getting discipled. We're part of church. We're, we're investing this gospel so that we as, as Christians are growing and there's fruitfulness in our lives. It's investing in this gospel message that we get to share with other people so that we don't just keep it to ourselves. Paul says how we have been entrusted, entrusted with this gospel message. It's like a stewardship that we've been given of this gospel message. You and I have been entrusted with this gospel message to share it, to proclaim it, to let other people know about it. I think this minor isn't just our own personal self. It's not just going out and sharing the gospel. It's about building the church. It's investing in the church, investing in people, building the church, you know, serving in the church, planting churches, growing the church, extending the church. It's about make, taking this gospel and making it grow so that there's fruit. But I'd suggest that it's not just about the church and about sharing the gospel. I'd suggest it's also about investing in things beyond the, the four walls of the church. It's about investing in our homes. 
so that our homes are places that are more fruitful, that are, that are a good places, places where there's praise, places where there's gratitude, where there's faith, where there's kindness, where the gospel is beginning to bear fruit in our places at home. It's investing this gospel in the workplace so that when we go to work, we're one of those people that causes this gospel to make us a different sort of person at work so that we're not joining in with the gossip so that we're building people up and not tearing people down so that we're bringing God's wisdom in the workplace so that we're showing by our hard work and by our honesty and our, by our reliable, reliableness that, that we have this gospel is bearing fruit in our lives and we're being salt and light where we are in the community, uh, in, the, in the workplace, in college, in school. It's extending God's kingdom into the world in whatever area of life that you are called to do that in. It, it's doing what Adam and Eve failed to do. Adam and Eve were supposed to go out into the world as God's vice regents, bringing his dominion into the world, being stewards of his values across into the world, taking his presence with them wherever they went into the world. But of course, they, they didn't do that. But now we are called to do that, to take this gospel and to make it God's business. There, there's a, I think there's an advert for a consultancy which uh, goes like this. We make our, your business our business. Have you heard that phrase? We make your business our business. And that's what we're called to do. We're, we're called to make his business our business. To be his stewards. So we've all been given this minor. We've all been given one life to live. To serve Jesus. One life. One chance to bear fruit for him. And this is what Jesus says. This man says to his servants, I want you to engage in business until I come. In other words, we're called to work this, this minor we've been given. We're called to invest what we've been given so that it multiplies into spiritual capital so that there is an increasing yield from this good news of the gospel. What a fantastic opportunity this is, isn't it? I, I find this so energizing. I've been given this gospel to invest, to bear fruit, and I have this opportunity, one life, to do it. I, I, I have to be honest, I don't watch a lot of telly, but I am a bit of a sucker for Dragon's Den, and uh, I'm sorry about that if any of you dis disapprove. But, uh, you know, this week I, I saw an episode, and... Um, there was this chap uh, who, uh, there was this girl who, who made these handbags, beautiful handbags, using fish skin. They were, they were very nice, but she, unfortunately, I don't want to ruin it for you, but they liked what she was doing, I'll say that much, um, but she didn't get an investment. But then there was this chap, and he had, um, he was a young guy, he was probably only about 21, and uh, he was basically making customised debit and credit cards. Um, this is mine, which happens to be customised from the Olympics when my family were younger. It's still the picture I still have. Uh, but this guy was making all these fancy engraved metal uh, kind of uh, uh, cards for people. And he, he'd made £2 million already from it. 
uh, he's only 21, and, and uh, the, the Dragons were after him. And Stephen Bartlett, the youngest one, said, look, I, if, you, if you say yes to me, I will let you come and sit in my office with my two Instagram experts to help you with your business. And we'll invest in you and we'll help you to grow what you're doing uh, because we think what you've got is, is a good thing. Um, so it is a wonderful opportunity that we have been given to take what God's given us and to invest it for good and for God in this world, isn't it? Isn't that exciting? Yeah, you're allowed to look excited about it. It's great. It really is. One of the things I like about this is um, that we don't, God doesn't micromanage us in this. It's quite interesting, isn't it? He gives us, he gives the minor and then he goes away and, and says, right, now look, you know, I'm trusting you to do this. This is a test. What are you going to do with what you've got? A and you've got some liberty in this. And, you know, sometimes we sort of think, well, what does God want me to do? A and, and Moses, God, God said, Moses said to God once, you know, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God said to Moses, well, what have you got in your hand, Moses? Take, use that. Use what you've got in your hand. Got a staff. Oh, use that. Okay. And, and we can say, what's God's vision for my life? And God says, tell you what, I've given you stuff already. What, what have you got in your hand? Use that. You know, be creative. Be entrepreneurial. Be energetic. Use what you've got to invest with this one life. In verse 15, I love what it says because... Um, it says that he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. There will come a time when he'll say, so let me see what you've done with this gospel that I've entrusted with you. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And verse 16 goes on to say this. The first man came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. And so he said, this servant has produced a thousand percent return. Pretty good, hey? Ten miners out of the one. A very good return. And the master says, well done. There's a graveyard which apparently says this on the stone. Um, in memory of Captain James Harvey, died April 1796, tragically shot and killed by the accidental discharge of his pistol while in the hands of his valet. And then at the bottom, it, it's got the text from Luke 19, verse 15. Uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, Someone maybe should have just thought about, uh, about that one. Uh, <laughs> presumably, he was saying, well done for the captain. <laughs> uh, um, but then the second man comes along, and he has produced 500%. So he's got five miners to give back. And, and again, he is, he is given more. Notice something about this. There is a humility in the way these guys uh, report back to their master. They say, Master, they don't say, Master, look at what I've done. 
Look how amazing I am. They say, Master, look what your miner has done. There's this kind of humility. It's not, it's not like it's all down to me. It's actually his miner that's done the work. And, and that's helpful to us, isn't it? When we're going out there, when we're doing things, because remember, it's his work. It's his investment. He can make it grow. We just do, we're faithful. That's what he's looking for. We're faithful with it. He can make it grow. It's, it's his work. It's not all down to us. He builds. He gives the grace. He's sovereign, but we have agency within that. We still have a responsibility within that. And note how big the yield is. The gospel has such potential. This little seed of the gospel can hugely multiply. And it has done throughout the world. We can think of examples locally here, can't we? We can think of a guy, some people uh, uh, in back in the 1800s who wanted to start a Baptist church in Odium. And uh, for over 100 years, 150 years, it's been here. Uh, and and uh, we're the inheritors of that. Just someone, just starting something. You think of how we felt led to start a congregation in Church Hickam, and now that's there and, it, and it's growing, and it's still there, and it's, uh, people are worshipping. You, th- you think of one guy thinking, hey, I, I want to get the men together. Let's be men for the master. And then suddenly, you know, something's happening there, and it's growing, and there's people coming. And you think of someone thinking, hey, I want to do a ladies' cappuccino club and and she beats the men at the first event she has i mean um but you know you think of the sunflower group you think of the b group which is buzzing there's more people coming you know investing in it letting people know creative program it's making an impact you think of little stars that have been going forever uh, and anita i don't want to say has been running it forever that might sound a bit uh but she pretty well has. Uh, but it's a fantastic ministry that, that it's a just ca- impact hundreds of people over the years. Just one thing. And the servants get commendation uh, because of their faithfulness. And that's what we're looking for. You see, the, the minor is a relatively little thing. What God is saying to you, your ordinary lives... You don't have to be Billy Graham. You're supposed to just be you and be faithful with what you've got, with what you've been given. You don't have to be the person you're going to be in 10 years' time. Just be faithful with what you have right now, with what you've been given, with your children, with your grandchildren, with your family, with just those faithful things, those little faithful things that you're called to do. And then look at the rewards. Now, this is great, isn't it? Look at the reward that is given to these people. And notice Jesus doesn't go through all ten. He spares us that. He only gives us three. Uh, But what's the reward for these two? The reward is, is it going to be, put your feet up, well done. Have a holiday. Congratulations. You worked hard. Well done. Just, Just chill now, okay? Well done. Is that what he does? No, he doesn't. He gives them ten cities, five cities. What's the reward? More work. In the kingdom, the reward for work well done is more work. God says, you've been faithful, I'm going to entrust you with more. I mean, that's why we give 
always give the, the job to the busiest person. Because somehow that's what God does, doesn't he? He, he, he? he rewards people who've been faithful with small things with more things, with more responsibility. That, that's just the way God works. And that's his reward. I'm sorry to say it, but there is no retirement in the kingdom of God. <laughs> there's different seasons. There's different paces. There's different amounts of, you know, it's fine. God understands what we're able to give and what we're able to do at different times. That's good. But nevertheless, God calls us each to continue. Um, you know, uh, if, if you're not dead, he hasn't finished with you yet. I think that was someone said yesterday at a conference I was at. Um, but notice how this guy, the last servant, comes. And he says in verse 20 and 21, I was afraid of you. So I, so I, I hid the miner and I put it under a pillow. And... Uh, what we think here is, what's going on here? This, this guy, I mean, he doesn't really fear him properly, does he? It's a strange kind of fear. I mean, if he'd actually feared God, I mean, if, we, if someone actually feared God, they would do what he said, wouldn't they? True fear of God leads to action, not inaction. So here we have the situation where this guy, I think, is making excuses. He's not really fearing God. He's kind of misrepresenting his master. He's kind of over-exaggerating how harsh his master is. He's a harsh taskmaster, a bit like Satan did to Adam and Eve. You know, oh, he's a real spoiler sport. sport. That's what happens. And so we have here this guy really kind of making excuses. It's definitely not what Jocko Willink would say in terms of extreme ownership. There's no extreme ownership here. Of this from this guy this guy's kind of just soaking shoulders not my responsibility what he does is he takes the this uh miner and he wraps it in a cloth and sh and sticks it under his pillow and every now and then he says well i've got god i've got god yes i've got god in my life i went to church i've gone to church a few times um i'm not really going to invest in this this faith but you know i'll get on with the rest of my life put it under the pillow i just go off and get on with the rest of my life and uh Instead of taking it and investing it, he kind of he, he, he keeps it safe. Yeah, I've got God. That's all right. It's kind of a nominal Christianity, isn't it? I, I've got God. I'll keep him away, and I'll get on with the rest of my life. Every now and then, I'll pop back to church. I'll get the miner out. I'll polish it, check it's still there, and then I'll put it away again and get on with the rest of my life. And there's an accounting that comes, and it comes to a point where the master says, Take it away from him and given it, give it to the one who has ten. And people sort of say, well, that's not fair. And Jesus says, no, but he who has more will be given. If you're faithful with few, you'll be given more. William Barclay says this, there is no such thing as standing still in the Christian life. We either get more or we lose what we have. We either advance to greater heights or we slip back. That's to be actively investing. It's like in rugby, Six Nations right now, you know? You've got the ball. You can't just keep it for long. Use it, okay? What, if you've got the ball, use it. If you've got something, use it, use it. So let me ask you, what, what is God telling you at this season in your life to use? It doesn't mean we all rush around crazily just doing millions of things and killing ourselves what is it he wants you to invest in at this time and if you are investing in something 
you know what God would say? Well done. Well done for being a faithful parent, grandparent, husband, wife, colleague, employee, employer, uh, witness, whatever it is, server in the church, helping us with the PA and the AV. And you think, oh, you know, God would say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servants. But he would challenge us as well. Is there something that he's asking you to take, to invest? Is there something you need to do more with this gospel? Is there something that you need to do with your relationship? What are you, how are you using your time? Does your calendar show that you're investing in his kingdom? What are you doing with your money? Does your bank balance show that you're investing in his kingdom? What are you doing at work? Are you grabbing the opportunity with both hands because we have one life? One life. One opportunity. One amazing opportunity. Be faithful to him. Let's do it. Let's go for it. I'm in. Let's go for it. One life. One great opportunity. Let's pray. Lord, I, I want to pray first for people here as they week in and week out just serve you, just do their thing and so often don't really get acknowledged or thanked. I, I just want to pray that they would hear your well done today. I pray that people would know that they're working for you that your eye is on them your treasure is is on us as we're faithful with small things i, I ask you that people would go from here encouraged today you see what they do i pray lift off any discouragement lift off any sense of just what, what's the point I pray in, in your name for joy and for a sense of your affirmation and your encouragement to us and Lord I, I pray that you would help us to freshly yield ourselves to you today our time, our money, our gifts, our abilities. We ask you, Lord, that this gospel might bear fruit in every area of our lives. We ask you for multiplication. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. We ask you for fruitfulness for this church, Lord, to see growth and Lord, we pray for our lives that we'd see breakthroughs and fruitfulness. Thank you, you are coming back. Who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. We want to fear you, Lord, in the right way. We want to repent of any just wasting of our lives.
when we should be fully serving your business. We ask you to help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Ask uh, Shimone just to lead us briefly in a song. I'm, I'm aware Pat's spoke for a few minutes longer than normal, but she's rather excited about that passage, and I hope uh, I hope you are too. So let's just stand.